For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Fair amount of wind at the weekend. In fact, a mini tornado, uh, much of it to do with Storm Fergus. We got quite a bit of wind over the weekend and certainly yesterday, but nothing like they got up the West Coast or indeed in Leitrim. Uh, makes the front of many of the red tops today. A mini tornado terror where the roofs were ripped off homes and businesses. Freak weather causing chaos. Boats were overturned or sank. Uh, and the ferocious tornado uh, sparked pulled trees out of the ground and flipped boats as it tore through the county of Leitrim. And there's crazy uh, footage of it, of course, over the past 24 hours as well with regards to some of the damage. Um, in fact, you know, there, there also was a fair amount of uh, wind on Leaside too and I probably felt it uh, yesterday. This morning, uh, the front of the Echo, as we head east along, uh, has Middleton on its front page because... Uh, businesses um, attempting and valiantly attempting to fight back after the flooding. Many of them open uh, and there was apparently a lovely event down in Middleton at the weekend called a Jingle and Mingle event. Uh, They had uh, choirs there from local schools singing the Christmas carols. Santa Claus was there and many of the businesses thrived and did well. They were describing it as a a fabulous festive atmosphere. I was down there yesterday afternoon. It was a bit of a a family gathering. We all gathered for uh, lunch down in Sage, the restaurant in Middleton. The food there is absolutely off the charts fantastic and it was buzzing busy down there and it was great to see it and super food and a fine fine restaurant in Middleton they should be very proud of it Sage so Middleton all businesses they say in the front of the Echo today a story that we've been dealing with on this programme it's appalling actually it is absolutely appalling that this is going on so long the chronic water uh, discoloration on Leaside the Environmental Protection Agency are um, opening an investigation file We'll have to see what happens there. It's an own English story making the examiner this morning. He rightly calls it the persistent discoloration of drinking water. Although uh, I would disagree humbly with the fact that it's um, you know an issue for hundreds of homes in Cork City. I would say, having spoken on the topic uh, about 10 days ago on air with people from all different suburbs of Cork, primarily the north side, I would say thousands of homes as opposed to hundreds. Big changes then, more money numbers and uh, and facts and figures for you this morning because uh, this morning, ministers uh, it's the front page of making the Irish Times and the inside pages of the Sun we're going to see big differences now to benefits paid to incoming Ukrainian refugees. So it's going to be discussed by ministers today. Then it will go before full cabinet tomorrow and they hope to pass the law on it then and the change before the Christmas break. They're going to have to get their skates on. They're going on holidays this week. More on that in a minute. But they're set to approve very big reductions, according to the Times, in benefits for refugees coming from Ukraine. And now it will not in any way affect what's being paid already to over 100,000 existing Ukrainians. Ukrainian refugees already in Ireland. But for those that are coming in, uh, the big change would be cutting welfare benefits for future Ukrainian arrivals and only providing accommodation for 90 days. And after the 90 days, then, the Ukrainian war refugees will be told, you will have to find your own accommodation. Now, uh, the Irish Council, the Irish Refugee Council, warns that uh, the 90-day cap um, is going to be a very big problem and it shouldn't be enforced. But uh, we have already spent one8 8 million euro per day now putting up asylum seekers uh, that's the figure 1.88 million per day and the figure for the entire year of 2023 so far is 671 million euro so 
two-thirds of a billion, if you like. And that's double, pretty much double, on what it was for the whole increase of 2022. So if some kind of a cap or some kind of checks and balances aren't put on the amount of money that's spent, firstly, we can't afford it, and secondly, we don't have accommodation. So the amount of welfare paid then would reduce from €220 per week, job seekers, to €38.80 per week. So there are your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868-104-106. But I mentioned they've got to do this and any other tidying up business that they need to do before the Christmas break. Because Terry McGeehan in this morning star says, get on with your job uh, as opposed to taking a 32-day break for Christmas. Do you take us all as a bunch of yules? As in pun on the word fools. He says it's still two weeks before the big day, uh, but we have to get our greetings in early because our TDs are heading off on the Christmas holidays this Thursday and won't be back until the 16th of January, which is insane, isn't it? A 32-day Christmas break. Now, they will always argue, oh, I'm working away in my constituency. I'm doing this, that and the other. But did I read something on the weekend from an MEP who said that 70% of all laws and legislation and everything and anything to do with Ireland is actually set by the European Union. Uh, so what exactly, Sean Kelly, the MEP, you're right, it was Sean Kelly, the MEP. So what exactly do our TDs do? If 70% of, the, of, of everything that affects us on the island of Ireland is actually decided upon and ruled at a European Union level. What are they all doing? Why do we need more of them? Anyway, that's another story uh, that makes the papers today. And there is very little update to report with regards to the Dublin stabbing incident of three weeks ago, apart from the fact that the little girl is a warrior and hopefully will be out of ICU by the end of the year. Her mother spoke to the son where she says that uh, she is a little warrior. The young girl hurt in the horror knife attack on Parnell Street on November 23rd is still in hospital uh, and obviously still fighting uh, the good fight and hopefully um, I, I mean it would look from that though that she'll certainly be in hospital across Christmas so that's sad for the family there are many stories actually talking about the home families children making the papers today like the Independent says that primary school children are suffering exams anxiety they put it down to a, a thing called fear of failure kind of a sad thing to have in primary school isn't it um, even knowing about failure or having to perform or you know be uh, gearing up even as a primary school student to um, you know um, you know benchmarks in life it's a time of fun really wouldn't you think primary school not pressure and anxiety but then they also say with regards to the pressure and anxiety of having children what cost would you put on rearing a child at the home if you at home if you were a stay at home parent well the actual figure is just under 55,000 euro a year that's the cost uh, and that's what should be if it were ever paid out paid to a stay-at-home parent who works at home, as in rearing a family. So the work of a stay-at-home parent is worth almost 55 grand, according to latest research. Women are more likely to be um, correctly estimating the value of it, um, and they break it down. Uh, I think when men were asked, they estimated it at something like 25 grand less, but apparently the figure is 55. But would that ever be ever paid by any country where somebody who decided to have children and stay at home and rear them, and that would be their full-time job, would be paid by the state to do it, as in 55,000? If it was two children, would it be double that? If it was triplets, would it be treble that? But they do break it down then into different aspects in this morning's independent childcare provider, cleaner, general cook, teaching assistant, handyman, handywoman, gardener, taxi driver. They break the figure down 
piece by piece by piece. And when you total it up and multiply it by 52, you come up with just slightly under €55,000. So if it were to be paid by the state to a stay-at-home parent, think about that. Um, how would people who never had children feel about it? How would young people feel about it? You know, maybe something somebody who was starting out in the workplace, uh, you know, getting on with their lives, not intending to have children for another 10 or 15 years realising that, hang on, some of my taxes are going to pay to rear and to mind other people's children. It kind of happens indirectly as it is, I suppose, with children's allowance. So I wonder, is that something you'd like to talk about this morning as to whether there should be a payment for stay-at-home parents? Um, I also saw some texts coming in from the lads over the, the weekend and thank you to Mick Mulcahy and the gang as always uh, for a great week last week. But I know one of the topics that they touched on whether it was whether or not child benefit should be means tested. But anyway, 55 grand a year, should it be paid to stay-at-home parents text 0868104106 check out the French though now we spoke about this a lot in the air uh, with children who are under age who really to a large extent know that they're outside of the law and unfortunately all too often we're hearing much more criminality now amongst people who are underage or juvenile so what the French have decided now is that they're going to go after the parents it's a story that makes the UK Times today parents whose children commit crimes could be ordered to carry out community service under a French government plan to restore authority within families because there, apparently there was a lot of rioting uh, we had a fair share of it here, but even a lot more in the in, in France, in the Republic of France. So uh, that's something they're planning up, saying if they can't get the children, hit the parents. And if you can't hit them in the pocket, get them to do community service. As a one, wondering uh, as to whether this is alarmist or should we really be worried about it, the RSV virus. This is a respiratory virus. It's the front page story making the mail today where grandparents are being warned, stay away from babies this Christmas. Now, I'm assuming that this is accurate because a headline like that would have devastating consequences for grandparents visiting children over the Christmas time or going over for Christmas dinner or sharing Christmas presents or giving a hug to granny or a kiss to granny or granda. So um, doctors have warned big grandparents not to visit newborns this Christmas because of the spread of the respiratory virus I'm talking about, RSV. There are 100 babies in intensive care in the past six weeks and it's a potentially fatal lung disease and it can have serious consequences uh, for people aged over 65 and over. So that's sad, isn't it? I mean, it's awfully sad. I mean, obviously, if it's 100% accurate, you'd have to abide by it. But have a very different Christmas for families, wouldn't it? Particularly grannies and granddads. Papers also this morning talk about a reversal. Well, fair play to Michael McGrath. He's putting manners on the banks. You know how they whipped out all of the ATM machines and they thought they could get away with it? <laughs> Michael McGrath is saying, no, I don't think so. Um, I want more ATMs reinstalled put them back in. In fact, they've come up with a law now that will set maximum distances between cash machines in rural areas. It's the story making the examiner. So that people won't have to travel very far to withdraw funds. Um, And all too often, of course, in the past few years, we have seen the decimation and also the rejection of cash as a currency. So rural ATMs all day long, much, much needed. But do we need the, uh, the little brown coins anymore, the one cent and the two cent? I think not, because what's happening now in business, you know it as much as I do, businesses are rounding up or they're rounding down. So you're never actually scrambling, sure you're not, for the euro or, the, for, pardon me, for the one cent or the two cent coin anymore. So why do we need them? More and more people now, seven in ten of us, are in favour of abolishing the brown stuff, particularly the one and the two cent coin, because they actually serve no purpose anymore. There ain't nothing. You can't buy a one cent bubblegum anymore, for instance, nor a two cent for that matter. And the papers also talk, for those of you that perhaps are looking forward to retirement, and I suppose the clock is ticking, 
heartbreaking for all of us but who'd want to retire if you could just work away for as long as you want and everything's hunky-dory I mean retirement would be fine I think maybe maybe I'm just thinking about myself as opposed to being you know preaching to people who actually are retired and loving it but I can't help but think that maybe the first three months would be fantastic and after that if you hadn't a plan B Imagine if it could get quite boring, don't you think? Text 0868104106, but the mail says this morning, retiring is great, particularly if your job was stressful and you were constantly slaves to emails and slaves to deadlines and all sorts of stuff like that. It's good to kick back and just to chill. But with Christmas coming, I may well come back to these a little later on because... is a call out to chippers on Leeside, please, on this Monday morning. Are there any of you out there across the Christmas period doing battered and deep fried Brussels sprouts? I would love to try one. Are there any of you out there doing battered and deep fried pigs in blankets, which would be the sausage wrapped in rasher, dipped in batter, deep fried? Is there any doing pork and stuffing balls? I would love to try them. Um, There's a fish and chip shop in the UK apparently in Hartlepool that is doing that and lots more besides. And you can get a portion of uh, eight uh, battered Brussels sprouts, uh, eight to ten deep fried battered sprouts for ten for two euro, sorry, two pounds uh, and ten pence. So for two ten. I don't know what they taste like. Good I would think. Protective was nice fresh oil that they were deep fried in. But I'm wondering if anybody on Leeside, any chippers are doing anything kind of festive on the menu with regards to uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the Brussels sprouts. Definitely, maybe you could do something uh, with um, the stuffing. Oh, and there's one here as well. They're, they're, even, they're even battering and deep frying the mince pies. Well, I mean, they do it with Mars bars. Why not with a mince pie? And one other final story then with regards to food. A lot of the old-fashioned foods that your mammy or your granny used to cook are making a big comeback. A lot of it has to do with people using um, uh, slow cookers, uh, you know, um, reducing down stock and making soups and stews and things like that. Uh, The story is somewhat Dublin-centric because they talk about a thing called coddle. Now, I have never tasted coddle, but I'm sure there are Dubliners listening to me who will say, Oh my God, man, you don't know what you're missing in a Dublin accent. But coddle, apparently, and I'm open to correction, is a kind of a stew, but it's a version of stew that involves boiled sausages, boiled rashers, spuds, carrots, onions. So it's a kind of a stew, but instead of lamb or beef, it's boiled uh, sausage and boiled rashers. So, I mean, imagine with a lot of salt and ground black pepper, that could quite tastes quite delicious but it's making a big comeback apparently but they also say all the ones that are making a huge comeback involve things like anything to do with you know making a good stew out of leftover food stews are making a comeback shepherd's pies are making a good comeback I see the lads inside in the market um, the pie guys are doing um, a, a, I think they're doing a, some kind of a, a savoury Christmas version of their pies I must get some more detail on that but the article in the mail uh, talks with um, one of the uh, researchers who said that her favourite dish is hearty, savoury mince. And I have a buddy who lives in America, right? And the one thing he looks forward to coming home, whenever he comes home, is his mam's mince and potatoes. I'm assuming it would be mashed potatoes, wouldn't it? And mince and gravy. That's it. Just mince and gravy and spuds, mash it all up or do whatever you want with it and devour it. Anyway, just a couple of stories to be thinking about. I imagine there's going to be uh, some reaction to some of those stories. So get involved in the conversation. Text 0868104106. Morning all. Nice to be back. This is the Neil Prenderville Show.
text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Joined by Bernard O'Hare, the campaigner for the homeless on Side. Bernard, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, same can't be said about the people who unfortunately, possibly, are coming across yet another, I was going to say unknown, heroin drug because I imagine that all too often people actually don't know what they're taking anyway but what, what's this yeah. latest fear on Side? not just Side, but also out of Dublin yeah, it's going to be sweeping across Ireland. It's a drug called nitazine. It's a synthetic opioid that was first manufactured back in the 50s as an alternative to morphine. When they were testing it, it worked well on mice for as a painkiller, but it wasn't brought to market due to the complications, basically overdosing and killing people. So You mean it, it was, was too strong? It was too, to market. It, it was too potent, is it? Yeah, exactly. When we talk about heroin, we all know for years how, how strong heroin can be. And then, you know, you had this fentanyl in the last number of years and now there is more and more drugs, uh, the nitazine family as as they're called uh, synthetic opioids that are now been mixed into it and this drug here is is, I think it's something like 40 or 50 times maybe even more powerful than fentanyl and as I said we've already talked about fentanyl and how powerful it is and this is what we're facing right now at the moment. You see that's just it I spoke to you about two months ago about fentanyl and the arrival of it and it being I don't know 80 to 100 times more powerful than or stronger than morphine and heroin and then all of a sudden yet another cocktail of unknown substances like how how does this happen are 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 people buying things that they think are one thing but they turn out to be another entirely is it i suppose i to give a bit of an in-depth answer to that would be that if you look at the what happens in america places like detroit and other areas where there's all these new drugs are coming on the market synthetic opioids there were they were primarily uh, manufactured in china but now they're components are been made in China but manufactured now in Mexico and then it goes from say uh, right across America causing devastation and untold amount thousands upon thousands I mean the, the figures alone in America are frightening and then it goes to say England and then it makes its way to Ireland I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, there was a very, very bad batch of heroin that was discovered in um, Scotland. And then all of a sudden, it was the same batch had killed a number of vulnerable addicts in Dublin. And the same thing is happening here now. They must, whoever, I don't know, obviously the names, but they got a, a batch of heroin in Dublin and starts killing people. And I mean, you probably have the figures there, how many were call outs okay. in, in one day, you know? And yeah, now I've, I've got, I've got Dublin, uh, in Dublin 54 overdose call outs within the space of a day and a half. And then we're looking and at the, uh, the Cork figure, it's probably out of date at this stage. Eight drug-related yeah. overdoses doses in 36 hours, and and yeah. is that, that that is this this uh, nitazine, this synthetic opioid nitazine. drug? For somebody who doesn't even understand what a synthetic opioid drug is, is that a drug in powder or tablet form made in a backstreet lab? Is it? It can be made in the backstreet labs, but what it is is that they're mimic like some other drugs. If you look at the head shops drugs years ago, that were mimicking the effects of say speed or cocaine or what the case may be, and now, because it's so cheap to manufacture and it'll bulk up their profits, it's an awful way to put it, but All that's right. the way they're looking at yeah. it, you know. Yeah, yeah. It can be mixed into tablets, say like Oxycontin, so on and so forth. And like I even read about a case where a 14 year old child thought they were getting Ritalin 
and next thing it was full of fentanyl and they were killed stone dead. Ritalin, by the way, is an AD, is primarily an ADHD drug. It's popular in America and it improves focus. And there's a lot of college students around the country for years that have been taking it, because, especially during exam season. So that's why it's important to sort of get it out there for them as well and not just people on the streets, you know what I mean? Because this is what happens. They think they're buying one thing and all of a sudden they're buying something totally different. Okay, let's, let's look at that. The you know? aspect of college students, especially during exam season, Buying yeah. or buying something off a mate or a pal or buying things online to what to help give them energy and focus and adrenaline is it? But yeah. can ultimately can lead to irreversible depression or brain damage. As I, and I get the whole premise of wanting to focus and being the best person you can be and concentrating, but it's killing people. And if it doesn't kill you, it's irreversible damage medically. You know. And um, and a lot of young people are buying these this stuff offline as well, you know. It's just the damage is untold what it's doing, you know. Now, I learned also uh, recently that people are given when they pick up their, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, when they pick up their, oh. say for instance, their, their kit from the, the chemist or the pharmacy, let's say they're getting, you know, substitutes for heroin, that they also get the drug naloxone. Is that right? How, how does that work? Basically, naloxone is a, is a drug that reverses opioid overdoses, right? And it, obviously it can help prevent, well, you know, obviously if someone takes an overdose from heroin, it can reverse the effects. But the problem now, what medical professions are facing with the likes of nisazine and there's another dangerous drug in America that was been mixed in with the fentanyl and the heroin called xylazine. They're so strong that it has to be administered multiple times compared to what nanoxalin would be administered to a, say, a normal overdose, heroin overdose. And even then, it's so potent and so strong and it's just so unpredictable, the, med- med- the compounds of it, that it may not even reverse it. But is it a case that, say for instance, if somebody is sadly addicted and not necessarily living homeless or on the streets, but that, they, yeah. that they're being cur- encouraged to stay in, in groups of twos or more, watch one person, watch for the reaction after the injection and be ready with the nax- yeah. naloxone, is it? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Well, what the H, I was reading up on the HSC website is what they're saying is to do it in sort of, well, they'd prefer if you didn't do it at all, which I, obviously I'd be on the same myself, but if they are going to do it, to start off very slow and gauge a reaction instead of, you know, just firing it in like they normally do and all of a sudden, bang, they're gone. And to do it in groups if they have to. Now, when myself and Seamus were out in the city the other day trying to go around and talk to people, vulnerable people, etc., there is now a WhatsApp group going around with some of them, some of the lads and the girls in the city. So what it is is that they're uh, texting each other and saying, right, if you're going to Mr. A or Mr. B, Mr. A has dodgy heroin and, you know, one of the lads and the girls is after overdose and so instead, let, let's go to Mr. B instead and see what kind of stuff he has and let's not do it alone. But do the dealers even know? Some of them do and some of them don't. You know, they clearly, like, I mean, whoever got it in the first place, whoever it originated from, so to speak, they know what they're doing, Neil. You know what I mean? You know, if they have a million euros worth of this stuff, they might just sell it to some other fella then for a quarter of a million instead of flushing it all down the toilet and let them deal with the problem. Do you know what I mean? Now, there is times where that a lot of dealers wouldn't know. You know, you have these uh, naive people who might, say, get a batch of 100 tablets or something like that, these benzodiazepines, so on and so forth, and they might not know, and they go in and sell it, and all of a sudden people 
people are dropping dead. But sure, they're not chemists. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And even the fellas who are making them aren't chemists. So, so how, how much of it is, is being bought online then as opposed to from, say, we've all seen the dealers, you've seen them, you've been out with Seamus many ah, times on the street yeah. corners. But it's probably not just all street corner dealing, is it? It's possibly online as well? Absolutely. The online market is blowing up since you know mid 2000s and then has steadily progressed over the years you know your black markets and all these Silk Road sites and again it's not just but normal people in society going online and and then uh, I mean look at the figures from say on post or any of those postal services among the drugs that are getting caught and that's people ordering it online you could have sports people who are thinking you know performance enhancing drugs in tablet form again they could be getting fentanyl or they could be getting xylazine or they could be getting nitazine and it, it, it goes like that you know and again I'm very cautious when we're talking about this because a lot of people have lost people not just in Cork right across the country but there was a case a couple of years ago where a young boy passed away because he bought some powder online thinking it was something else but turns out it wasn't what it was meant to be and he was killed stone dead and I don't mean to put it so lightly but you know I know, but it just seems to be every time we have a kind of a an alert like this, it just goes from bad to worse. It seems to be almost like trying to stop the tide, you know, a battle that's never going to be won. I was thinking about this this afternoon, actually, and perhaps for anybody that had any kind of reservations at all about a walk-in injection centre, isn't this yes. latest warning a good reason why we have a walk-in centre, hopefully, at some stage? Listen, I'm pro. I, I'm on the side of having a walk-in injection centre, and, and I get people's reservations about being in certain areas and things like that. And it's not about saying they have to accept it, but it's a part of our society now. And one way we can prevent things like this is by having a walk-in injection centre. And some, a lot of people, I'm not saying uneducated because I'm not fully educated myself, so I'm not trying to put anyone down. But it's just like, oh, yeah, they're just giving them free drugs, or they're giving them a place to to mm. shoot up. No, mm. when they're there, they're medically supervised. Their drugs are tested they're giving people access to therapy you know yeah. rehab it's not just about going in and getting you know but a lot of people out there and a lot of prominent people right across this country and I'm not just talking Cork right across the country are very dismissive of this right we spoke what was it two months ago yeah yeah. Um, yeah about since fentanyl, that yeah. now look what's happened yeah no I mean I think it, yeah. it's, it's more about getting the location right so that people who yes. do need help possibly can get the help but also while they're using they are being monitored again against the likes of, say, for instance, this nitazine, this synthetic and all the other opioid drugs. So that, that you know, yeah. if something goes wrong, there would be emergency help there rather than them dying in an alleyway. Exactly, yeah. And nobody, I mean, we, we've all lost someone and we all know what that's like. I mean, well, we say as friends, and, but, you know, the families that are going through it. If you think about it too, Neil, while we're talking about injection centres and think about it in the same context of the music festivals, where they're now drug testing at yeah. music festivals, yeah. Yeah. which I think is right, why why can't we not put that into practice in this context? Do you know what I'm saying to you? It's we not do. about yeah. people, yeah. some people... Some people give off about GDPR and this, that. Stop it. People are dying and they're dying every day. And it's, and, and it's not about hyping it up. I'm telling you now, you're, there's a massive storm on the way. And if they don't act, then people are going to die left, right and centre. And it's not just those on the street. And I'm not trying to associate everybody with drugs on the street. It's just a common fact that a lot are. But it's also the general public. I'm talking students who are in college. I'm talking about young people buying, they think they're buying cocaine or they think they're buying some other type of drug online. You know, we're all affected. Not everybody who dies or overdoses or is poisoned uh, by a drug actually 
is or was homeless. I think the statistic is one in eight. So the other seven are from all yeah. sorts of different walks of life. But Bernard, on a personal Absolutely, on a personal yeah. note, you must have lost an awful lot of friends over the years, did you? Do you know, and I'm again, I'm off and an awful conscious about talking because look, as a friend, or not even just a volunteer, as I said, I had nobody. And these lads, you know, and I'll, I'll say his name, Leon. You know, I was only up with his man there last week. It was Ross's anniversary, and God love him. Like, um, and you want to talk about pain and suffering? Sit down with that woman for five minutes. Yeah. And you can see the pain and suffering in her face. A lot of people over the years, in terms of you know grief and and loss, is that you know there was alcoholism and unfortunately as well suicide. But it's predominantly overdoses. I mean, some of the lads uh, uh, that I you know I I call it old school, as in when I was first going through the system and stuff. There's there's none of them left. There's hardly there's literally I could count them on my hand. And as soon as I heard the other day, I contacted a fellow in Limerick that I would have known for many many years. Cork, an absolute gentleman. Look, he had his own problems with the heroin and things like that, but he's a really, really nice guy. And on the phone straight away because I know he's struggling himself yeah. uh, at the last while. Yeah. And to tell him, and I was just please, please, please. And it was only about an, uh, half an hour ago there, he actually answered me back. And he's like, Look, I promise I'm going to be safe. I was just trying to give him the tips that was on the HSE. And tell me you this is, is, is cocaine is, is cocaine also doctored? Is it full of different additives like this as well? Is there also a potential with somebody who snorts cocaine? <laughs> Absolutely. I lost a friend a couple of years ago and I had to go to an, uh, his inquest. It was the first ever one I've been because I was the last to talk to him unless to see him alive. But I remember sitting in the court. There was no problem. The family knew. I knew the lad and there was nothing bad. As in, I didn't take the stuff with him. But it turns out then that there was ketamine and all sorts of drugs within mixed in with the cocaine, which ultimately led to his demise. And this, it, it, it can be mixed with all sorts, Neil, and it's pure greed. Not only are they scumbags, but they're also doing it because it's pure greed. They bulk up their profits and everything else. They don't care who they're killing. Yeah, you know? I mean, it can be it can be as harmless as flour or baking powder and stuff like that, but it can be right up to... Yeah to acid and, and, and rat poison. Rat poison. A lot of people, right, that was taking uh, cocaine, and I've known some seasoned drug takers, and again, it's not trying to be promoting it, but the reaction, say, they could take a one-week normal cocaine mixed in with benzocaine or whatever, I put the proper name of it, mm. but and then the next week then, right, they'd act a certain way, but then the next week then they'd take a batch of this stuff, and it's it's their mouth, how their, their mannerisms, but it turns out it was strychnine. Yes. which is uh, an element of rat poisoning uh, rat poisoning within it and I've seen that many years ago but even back home they were putting it in ecstasy tablets and everything speckled you know speckled ecstasy tablets bulk it up and just to make them look better it's like Russian roulette isn't it uh, listen Russian roulette with any drugs you know you can say one thing about marijuana but this stuff is just lethal and what's going on at the moment now there's a couple more calls there later on I want to just drop a couple of voice notes to the lads that I would have known and it's up to them to not touch it or not take it but you know for their family's sake and for their own sake you know what I mean Everybody seems to know key locations where this is available and perhaps being cut or mixed or bagged how come they're not raided more often? If, if you know I'm going to be talking to Seamus about this and he was telling me off air of even addresses of places yeah, well, look, I'm going to be saying it there. Look, the guards can only try their best. There's some great guards out there. I'm not saying everyone to come down on Guard of Shea they're trying to do the job. But especially with the area where I live, I call the, the little stretch of road, and you might think this would be funny, but I call it the Green Mile because uh, you go up there and so many have gone up there in the last number of years and they don't come back. I see it every day of the week where I live, seven days a week, 365 days of the year, people up and down to this area buying drugs and you would see more Deliveroo drivers than you would 
Gardaí and they know about it it's up to them it's not like right, we're campaigning here to try and keep people safe it's up to them to, to I suppose their war on drugs or whatever but there's no one around and I'm sorry it's not me lying are or you, trying to hype up or, are you saying that some of it is being distributed by without naming any of the companies couriers no, no, I'm saying that in effect, uh, well, no, that, has, that has been the case across Ireland, especially in Dublin, where these rickshaw drivers have been caught with 1,000 euros worth of drugs. I'm saying that you would you would see a pizza delivery driver or a takeaway driver in these, and in, especially in this particular area, than you would Gaudi. You know, it wouldn't take much to drive into these areas three or four or five times a day or whatever. You, they don't even have to get out of the car. But that's in, in certain places, that's not even happening. Yeah, right? you probably need a warrant you know? and you have to go to a judge and all sorts of things every time you have to go into a yeah. house. You know, that's probably, I don't know. You know I, I don't know. It's just you, you think that yeah. if there no, are, if there again, are key, and these, and these key players, are they international people amongst us or, or what? A, a, very, a mixture, yeah. Everyone would think that it's, oh, it's only solely Irish drug dealers. No, you have Eastern European, a lot of Eastern European. European drug dealers and especially whatever conscience you think that the Irish don't have they definitely don't have them Jeez. you know and, and another thing as well Neil just to put it out there and we've talked about this in the past that there's some of the lads and girls I know for a hundred million percent have gone up to Dublin and Limerick but especially Dublin buying drugs and coming back down then and selling it here and it's the same back home you know there's a a conglomerate as such of, of these criminal groups who are now just kind of working with each other and it's not solely for Dublin for Dublin or Cork for Cork or Sligo for Sligo you know what I mean tell you one thing I don't know where it's going to end man I really don't I see a stat here saying 12,000 potential life years lost because of poisoning deaths 10,000 potential life years lost because of non-poisoning deaths in just one calendar year that's a, a staggering amount of hours and minutes and days and months and years lost yeah, and you think about that statistic number. Then you think about the families who tried their best and oh, everyone says, oh, it's all the parents' fault. No, i done it to my own parents and my own family. They, they tried their best, but I was just reckless. And do you know what I mean? Think about their families and the fact that when no one, everyone stands around and then waits for them to die so they can write their Facebook post or shake hands with the dealers uh, at the funerals of their uh, so-called friends. Do you know what I mean? People yeah. need to cop on yeah. because people are dying. And you wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it's, as soon as it hits their own doorstep, Thanks for the catch-up, Bernard. Thanks for the catch-up, man. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it as always. The Voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM. Bernard O'Hare came through the uh, horrors of addiction himself and turned his life around and now helps others. And he gave us a good insight there into what's happening and the changes with regards to uh, what's available in the marketplace. But somebody who's very much aware of it, and I imagine the whole HSE is aware, and also uh, even right down to paramedics who are working working within the ambulance services are on red alert uh, with regards to the ever-changing and adulterated products that are available. Uh, David Lane is the HSC coordinator with uh, Drug and Alcohol Services uh, on Leaside and joins me by phone. David, good morning. Morning, Nate. Just wondering, um, you know the, the story that, that many people would know of now that the Taliban are cutting down and trying to eradicate and have eradicated the, the, the poppy seed and the poppy plant and then routes to markets have to be found with other products. Is is that why, is it a case that people, sadly, who are injecting what they think is heroin, isn't heroin at all? Um, look, Neil, that, that's a kind of a, a debate that, uh, you know, we could kind of talk about for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, my own personal view on it is that uh, it's, it's to do with greed, you know, it, it's, it's to do with kind of making as much money as you can out of uh, selling a substance 
um, without it costing you too much, yeah. you know. So yeah. uh, in terms of the appearance of uh, this particular product in Cork City in the last week or so, um, nitazine, which is a synthetic opiate, um, you know, it is, uh, I suppose, the way I, I look at it is that it, bo- it boils down to money and money. making as much money from vulnerable people as you possibly For can. For as little as possible. And if you, were to, if you were to say how much stronger and more dangerous it is, is, is it 50 times, 100 times? Is there a number? Um, there's not a number because I know that what had happened in Dublin uh, about uh, four weeks ago, a little bit maybe longer, there's probably been even a testing of the market uh, in Dublin and, you know, I suppose there were significant numbers of overdoses at that point in time uh, in the city there. Uh, what we would have found in the last week is that, um, you know, we had a significant number of overdoses within a very short space of time. Um, but we do think that, you know, and I suppose one of the difficult things for us like, is to be able to get our hands on samples of the product so that we can get it tested. Yeah. Um, and we, in fairness, like we were ready for this and we um, had uh, Ungardish Yukon on board and we had, um, you know, the, the, the National Lab on board then as well and being able to get a test very quickly. Like, so it was only last Wednesday when we got a sample of the product that was circulating in Cork City. Right. Um, and on Wednesday, we sent it up to the lab and we got a result on Thursday. Like, okay. So that's how quickly it happened in terms of us being able to confirm the kind of drug that it was. Uh, but it is, uh, as you say, like, I mean, this is a very powerful substance, you know, so uh, people who take it uh, go into overdose very quickly. Um, and what we need to be able to do then is to be able to respond very quickly then as well uh, to reverse uh, the effect of that overdose. Um, what we have been doing over the last month in terms of preparation for this was we were, and I know that your previous guest spoke about this, like we've been um, trying to get as much naloxone out into the um, into the city as possible in terms of people who are using um, heroin and injecting drugs in our city. So what is that, um, David? Is that, a, is that um, do you give somebody like a, a, like a pen to, is, is it an injection to counteract the overdose? Yeah, so we have two types of uh, and two methods of delivery in terms of naloxone um, in Cork uh, and across Ireland, actually, uh, Neil. So we have uh, the injection of naloxone, you know, so that, that, is, um, that is a needle that's actually handed around to people who are um, injecting drugs in, in the city. But we also have a nasal spray as well. So there are two ways of delivering naloxone in terms of somebody's going into overdose. Um, and we've been training lots and lots of people over the last I'd say the last four or five years actually in terms of delivering naloxone across the, the city here like, you know, so we'd have a lot of the staff in homeless services for instance who are trained uh, to be able to deliver this life-saving drug um, as soon as possible yeah. uh, because I suppose you know all of our paramedics are obviously very trained in terms of being able to do this um, but uh, quite often it might be you know another user who's actually in the presence of somebody going, going into an overdose and they're maybe the first to be able to kind of respond yeah. to an emergency situation like because it could take you know 10 minutes or longer for a paramedic to arrive on scene you know and those those minutes are vital in terms of saving life did, did I also hear that it, um, it, it's so dangerous and so strong um, and you go into overdose so quickly that you might need more than one dose to counteract it? Yes, true, but, but what's important to know as well in terms of the naloxone that we have circulating across the city is that we could have up to five doses of naloxone in one injection, you know, so a needle is, so we, we'd have the, the drug itself, naloxone, provided to people who are injecting drugs and uh, to staff and others uh, across the city, but 
um, there are actually five doses of naloxone in any one mm. dose, in any one uh, injection that's given to, to people, you know. Um, so do, do the dealers know and the distributors know what they're actually selling or are they as much in the dark as, say, the users? I don't think so, Neil. I mean, one of the things that we heard and some of the feedback that we were getting last week uh, when we kind of uh, started to raise the alert uh, on Wednesday was that uh, people unknown to service users down here were actually approaching uh, some of the people in Cork and saying, look, we have uh, we have some really good stuff to sell you here. You know, so this is the kind of line that was being provided. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it is one of the messages that we're trying to get out there. You know, that if you're buying an illegal substance, like, and I suppose in many ways people are thinking that they're buying heroin, um, we're saying to people, please buy from people that you know as opposed to people that you don't know. And then don't inject on your own. Is that the alert as well? Absolutely. That's critically important. Like, and we've been saying this for years, Neil, you know, so um, when you get into difficulty on your own, obviously, you know, naloxone is pointless then because if you go into an overdose, you can't do anything mm. about it. Mm. So what we've been saying to people is please do not use alone. Please have somebody with you so that if you're getting into difficulty, um, that somebody can uh, call help for you. Um, you know, like it, it seems to be a battle that it's very, very difficult to ever see a successful outcome to. I was talking to Bernard earlier and wondering, isn't, and I know society is somewhat divided, but isn't this one of the real reasons why, if the location could be right, that a walk-in injection centre with monitoring and professional staff is the way to go. Yeah, and look, we've been saying this for years as well, Neil. You know, so we've been uh, very supportive within the HSC of establishing medically supervised injecting facilities. Uh, we've seen the benefits of these across the world for a long number of years. Um, there are lots of them across Europe. Um, uh, I was actually uh, on a study visit earlier on this year uh, with uh, colleagues in the HSE and across uh, the local authority and the Garda Síochána uh, to the facility in Lisbon. Uh, and they have both a, a mobile facility and a fixed site then as well mm. in terms of uh, supporting people who are caught up in terms of addiction. Mm. Um, and, we, you know, they, they do save lives, you know, so and they, they have many other benefits as well, like in the sense that they uh, they reduce the I suppose the the public injecting that might be happening. They reduce the the drug litter that might be associated in terms of um, you know, drug use. And uh, you know there there are so many benefits to facilities like this like that. Um, it, it makes all kinds of sense for something like that to happen. But I suppose it's important to say as well, Neil. Like, and you know I, I've been involved in addiction treatment services for a long time and. You know, at this time of year, actually, we have lots of graduations of people who are going through programs and have been through the ringer in terms of uh, addiction mm. for many, many years. Um, and people can turn their lives around, you know. So, you know, we can get very despondent thinking that, you know, that we're never going to win this war. But I've seen over my time involved in, um, in uh, coordinating addiction services across this region here uh, that people's lives can be turned around and people's lives can be changed for the better. Undoubtedly, and I don't mean to overly negatise things, but I, I do see a huge increase of online purchases as well. Uh, this would be black market benzos. This would be, uh, I was reading as the weekend, the amount of college students, particularly during exam season, who were turning to uh, all sorts of um, you know, very dangerous stimulants. Ritalin is being abused, for instance. We all know of, of fentanyl, the uh, amount of people now buying online. I know I'm supposed to doing their best to catch a lot of it, but that's also a tide that would be very hard to turn around. Around, wouldn't it? I suppose the human condition, Neil, isn't it? I mean, 
you know, we have our legal substances as well. And I've, I've been on your show a, a number of times over the years talking to you about the, the problems that we have as a society with alcohol yeah. um, and likewise in terms of over-the-counter medications. And, you know, so it's, it is part of the human condition that we kind of, uh, uh, that we experiment with substances and for many different reasons. Like, you know, so obviously they're, they're the, 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 the medicinal purposes of medications and, um, you know, in terms of uh, reducing pain for people and, uh, you know, and healing and, and all of that. Like, you know, but, you know, there are they're obviously the... the I suppose that there is that part of that human condition as well where, you know, it is the mind-altering kind of uh, effects that uh, substances have and and our propensity to kind of engage in activities like that. Okay, okay. Thanks for the update, David. Appreciate it. As always, David Lane, HSE Coordinator on Drug and Alcohol Services uh, on Leaside. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Text coming in already, particularly on the possibility of finally locating uh, an injection or a walk-in service. Text 0868104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Countdown to Christmas continues and I'm going to start reading out my uh, first. I know that Mick did a lot of them last week and fair play to him. Our Christmas hamper giveaways continue with the paddy box and I'll be reading out some uh, emails from people who have family in the four corners of the world. So more of that to come. You still have time, incidentally, to email if you've loved ones overseas and you'd like us to send a paddy box. Email neil at redfm.ie. Text already this morning with regards to the proposed changes in the length of time that the state will pay for accommodation, 90 days, 80 days, I should say, for um, uh, Ukrainian war refugees and indeed uh, cutting the benefit from €220 a week to 38.80. The 38.80 that would be paid if the law is changed in that regard is the same amount that would be given to an asylum seeker at the moment. So there's a very simple solution, Neil. No more refugees from anywhere. We have more than our quota compared to every other country in the world. It's time to spend the billions on accommodation for our own people. Uh, Look at the state of events for young people trying to find or buy or rent a home. The proposed new arrangement for Ukrainian refugees, I believe, will cause problems with serious consequences. For For those that already speak English, there is a chance of employment. But finding accommodation may be more challenging. For all others, it is not workable. It would be more honest to either have an absolute limit or end the intake of refugees completely. Uh, Morning, Neil. They are right to look at the welfare payments to Ukrainians. We just can't afford to keep it going. I'm out of work at the moment due to a spinal surgery and I'm only entitled to €220 after working all my life. I still have a mortgage to pay and four kids to look after and still have the same bills to pay. I'm grateful, don't get me wrong, that I get €220 and I'm lucky compared to others. But people are just arriving into the country without background checks and they get the same and more than me because they get medical cards, free third-level education, and much, much more. A lot of these people could have a lot of money, but it doesn't matter. There's no means testing for them. Being tested like this by our government, just co- treated like this by our government, just causes tension between different people. I hope you get to read out my text, says Ger. Thank you for those. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. On stay-at-home parents, should there be a wage paid because they've not come up with the amount of money a year if it were a working job? And it is a working job, I suppose. But if you were to put a figure on it for a parent who... 
um, stays at home and rears children, €54,000 per year. Whatever about stay-at-home parents, what about carers who were caring 24-7 and gave up their employment to care for very severely disabled children? They should be paid so that they could at least survive. And one or two more. Here we go again. The media like you promoting walk-in injection centres for criminals who take illegal drugs while the government is trying to bring in hate speech laws to stop people's free speech. The media is very quiet about that. Um, okay, I'll just I'll just read them out because I have a lot to do this morning. Oh, incidentally, um, just a couple of things with regards to Christmas. Uh, Maureen down in Clonakilty says, I wonder would you p- please highlight an important issue for many Catholics. This Christmas, again, for the third year, we have no manger in the chapel of the Immaculate Conception in Clonakilty. Neither are we having a Bambino Sunday or a carol service. I've emailed the bishop to let them know that I'm absolutely disgusted at this. A Christmas tree is on the altar, but no manger, says Maureen in Clonakilty. Why not? Um, I mean, is this just an isolated incident or are there more churches that are opting not to have a crib and a manger? You'd have Mary, you'd have Joseph, you'd have the donkeys and the animals and you'd have um, the straw and everything that goes with it. You'd have the manger. Jesus wouldn't be in it yet because he hasn't been born. He'd be put in on Christmas morning. Um, is this the way things are changing or is this just one isolated incident? Text 0868104106. I did see another change. I mentioned this in a very light-hearted manner. Is it a function yesterday, a family do down in Sage and Middleton and everybody got a Christmas cracker to pull? Lo and behold, weren't they plastic-free Christmas crackers? The most boring useless, worthless thing I've ever come across in my life. Christmas crackers with no toys, no gifts, no little fuddy-duddy inside in it, just a Christmas hat and a stupid corny joke. Because, of course, plastic is bad news. So now, apparently, you can get plastic-free crackers. Whatever you have in yourself. I miss the little toys, though, I have to say. Anyway, text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. Bill, good morning. Thanks for holding. Good morning. Just pick, oh, hello. picking um, up on some conversations this morning with this deadly strain of drug that isn't heroin that people are o- overdosing in their dozens. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, um, like many of us have probably seen the the uh, drug problem in the United States, um, San Francisco. The the lawmakers have been debating how do they deal with it. Um, apparently. You know, you, you, have, you have people overdosing on fentanyl and on this new drug beginning with N. Um, beginning you know, beginning with N. Philadelphia, huge problems. Ireland now, the UK as well. Like, I, and I, I, I very strongly believe, and I felt this, I'm in my 60s, I felt this at 50 years, that really, you know, penalties need to suit the, the offences happening um, I do feel for these people I'm not a bloodthirsty person but it, 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 there's there's so much help out there at the moment um, even even if resources are overstretched in Ireland and the UK and other countries but really this drug problem as I think you were speaking earlier to uh, you know people more in the know than I would be um, is taking over Oh, undoubtedly it is, but here, here's what your text said. The government are enabling drug distributors 
the penalties need to be prohibitive right up to the death penalty because death is what these addicts are getting. Um, is yes, it the, they are. Is they're it the, overdosing and dying. Okay, That's so, what's happening. so is it the dealers you're talking about, the producers, the distributors you want the law well, to be talking well, about? I, I know things aren't black and white, and I know, I know some of these people probably supplying are addicts themselves, and they have to supply in order to feed their own habit. However, the, as I say, there, there's a lot of help out there. Like these addicts still make conscious decisions, if you could call them conscious. Maybe, maybe they, they, their mind isn't working very well when they make these decisions, admittedly. As I say, things aren't black and white. I accept that. But the thing is, this will take us over. And it's using resources. People are probably dying of cancer indirectly because they're not getting the resources in the HSE and other bodies but, but, but because the resources are being directed towards this drug. Well, listen, I know it. I read a very disturbing article at the weekend where a young girl died of uh, sepsis because she was waiting too long in, the, in an A&E up the country to be dealt yep. with, and she died as a consequence of it. So um, I think that the um, ED rooms, emergency departments, will are also being overrun with overdoses. I understand all yep. of that. Um, but, it, it, at, you know, those that are addicted, they, they need help, really, not punishment, you know? They need help, the addicts, yes, and I, I totally agree. I am compassionate as well. But the thing is, they, they, they're dealing with the symptoms of it. They're not dealing with the cause of it. The cause of it is people are supplying. They're bringing in drugs. Like, even getting these drugs in the post makes yep. it against the law. Yep. Like, you can't buy, for example, in, in the financial sector, you cannot buy, let's say, the, the, the equivalent of prize bonds in the UK for money laundering reasons, you know? That they stamp that out, and there are other regulations for financial matters. But this, um, but this, de- but this death penalty you're suggesting—I mean, they're like. No, I'm not saying you fire that out all the time. No, it's but because, th- like, there are you know there are people on death row in America, in some of the states yes, in America. But that would be for for serious crime like murder. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, well, what would you call this, Neil? No, I, I'm only ma- I'm only making a point. There are people on death row no, in America. I, I, so I know what you're saying, but if if you knowingly supply drugs, and I I, I know there's a bit of uncertainty as to whether some of them actually know um, whether these drugs contain um, more than fentanyl. You know, they're the very strong. Um, how do you pronounce it? Nitazine or nitazine, something? Nitazine. You're spot it is. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, like. <laughs> If they knowingly supply, like if I knowingly push you in front of a bus, <laughs> isn't that murder? It's either murder or maybe maybe manslaughter. I don't know, but it certainly okay, would well, be. Well, yeah, first yeah. degree manslaughter yeah. at the minimum. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, people are dying. Like uh, like some of these ministers, really, I, I know the EU thinks death penalty. My God, you know, we can't do that. We can't play God <laughs> and all this business. But the thing is... The thing is, you know, in Jesus' time, I'm afraid these situations did not exist. There were, there were other situations, yes. Mm. But if we don't deal with this, the government is enabling it. Mm. Like, by turning the other way, is actually enabling it. Because they know it's happening. It's getting worse. They can see well, what's happening in the United States. Well, I think we uh, certainly, Biden, I certainly think we'd agree on stronger sentencing, maybe stopping short. Yeah, but the, then, the, then we're paying 100 grand a year to keep someone in prison. That's a hundred thousand a year, you know. That could be spent. But what's, on the op- what's the option to that? Snuff them out. Well, another uh, there are other options like having creating islands where people go for you know they're not locked up exactly, but they're removed from their situation. Um, 
like if people stay in the streets of Cork, for example, or Dublin, various streets, taking drugs with their so-called companions, friends who are also taking drugs, it's actually, it's encouraging them. You remove them from that situation, put them somewhere else. I don't know what the solution is. Okay. There are islands off the West Coast. I know that costs money as well. Okay. But, you know, you take them there. They detox, detox islands or whatever you want to call them. Um, like, I, I remember having a talk from a young fella when I lived in England many years ago during my lunch, a job I worked in. And he, he said he, he had actually, he was a heroin addict actually. And he was only in his 20s. And he, he, he said he could not stay in the town that he, he, he had actually come to to give the lecture because people he knew would, uh, uh, the social pressure would be too much mm. for him to go, actually go back in the drugs again. That's one very important part of recovery is to disassociate yourself with those of your past because otherwise you yeah, could be tempted exactly. back again. Like, okay, okay. Let me get some more calls on the air. Appreciate it, Bill. Text 0868 Seamus Whelan from this programme actually walked the streets of Cork, I think the back end of last week. I think he was doing, he actually was walking with, with Bernard O'Hare, just taking in exactly what was uh, to be seen on our streets and our alleyways. And he joins me by WhatsApp. Seamus, good morning. Um, good morning, Neil. And, and I know, uh, talking with David Lane earlier and talking with Bernard O'Hare, that there is a, a serious crisis with this product. Many of the ingredients of it that go on to the market as made in Chinese labs. It's all mixed with stuff like fentanyl or Oxycontin or it's much, much stronger. People are thinking they're injecting heroin but other products are also uh, being adulterated. But anyway, I've covered much of that but I'm interested to hear what you observed. Well, uh, when the news broke on on Friday uh, that we had eight over non-fatal overdoses in 36 hours in Cork, which would have been um, the 5th and the 6th of December. I uh, met up with Bernard and we went into town to have a chat with uh, many of the users hoping to actually get them on um, on uh, on the record on mic uh, but a lot of them were afraid to talk because um, they would be seen as, uh, as snitching and there'd be repercussions for that. Um, we spoke there. Uh, we spoke to quite a number of the of the users, all identifying one particular area in the city where they believe uh, these drugs are coming from. Um, it's got to the case now where they actually have their own WhatsApp group, where they will identify uh, where they actually got the drug, which which dealer they got it from and the effects that drug had on is is it a case the that there is that a case that there is one particular distribution network out of a a particular flat that is selling this very very dangerous product well the way it's set up it's set up like a business there uh, there's basically um an apartment um in this area with a mobile phone on a desk where it's run like a call center you ring the number you tell them what you want and the deals are cut up across the road then in another uh, house and then you either go up and uh, collect the, the 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 drug of choice or um, you meet that uh, dealer in town. Like we spoke to a girl in her late 20s, early 30s who told us she had been clean for weeks uh, just out of addiction services uh, but she had only two uh, minor slips 
Um, why, she why would that happen? Did she say why that happened? Did she start hanging out with the gang that she was with before she went into rehab again, was it? Well, it's basically when you're released from rehab, there was nowhere else for her to go. So she went back on the street and fell back into uh, com- in, into conversations and hanging around with uh, with the usual crew she was hanging around with. Okay. But she told she told me that she had taken quarter of a syringe of heroin on the Wednesday. Of last week. And the next thing she she remembers is waking up in an ambulance with tubes hanging out of her. And while I was there talking to her, she'd already made contact with her dealer and he had arrived on the scene and he only, he he had such a brass neck that he stood about two feet away from myself and Bernard while she was chatting to us. He waited there for about five, 10 minutes and then she he headed off, she followed off then to get her deal from him and this was a man in his late 50s early 60s right okay did he say anything did Um, he say anything to him no no um, I didn't look I didn't want to tempt fate I didn't want to approach him um I, I didn't know what uh, what reaction he would have had to me where would she be financing um, her habit well a lot of it would be Beggy on the streets or it, it I, I don't think she uh, she was kind of robbing but like she was uh, it, a lot of it would, would, would be from begging uh, like the majority of them like I spoke to another gentleman who uh, told me that they that the, a lot of the drugs that are now hitting the streets of Cork are coming from Dublin because back on the 10th of November, uh, the HSE put out a similar warning as they did in Cork, saying that there were 40 overdoses in the space of 36 hours, which the Irish Times then uh, increased to 54 overdoses. Um, they're say, he's telling me that the dealers in Dublin are sending those drugs to Cork to take pressure off themselves in Dublin, and and that's where uh, quite a lot of this strain is is coming from. Yeah, and but a lot of it, David Lane is saying a lot of it. It's it's actually greed. It's much cheaper to give these adulterated products that are much more dangerous and ten, twenty, forty, fifty times more powerful. And it's also probably. I mean, I imagine that the paramedics are very much aware of this. The ambulance personnel are they? Uh, they are because there was a warning uh, sent sent to them during the week as well. Um, but the 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 thing is when the um, the a, a lot of the users are now going around in pairs shooting up because generally when I would have been covering this in the past for you, you'd notice that they'd go away and they they kind of shoot up themselves in a doorway and in, in in their own or in their own kind of comfort area uh, but now they're doing it in pairs um, I witnessed uh, three people in a doorway on Friday um, shooting up where? Uh, two, where? down uh, it was it was the back of the the clarion down there by by Simon yeah they were they were just in a doorway there there was two of them 
trying to help this girl try to find trying to find a vein and she was in a lot of pain and a lot of shouting and and and, and roaring trying to actually get the heroin into her god, oh um oh my god but like it, it it is it is scary there there is a whatsapp group and they're going around in pairs now but the worry is that the uh, naloxone that they use to revive revive themselves may not be enough. Um, I did hear David Lane saying that there's four or five, um, I suppose, doses in those pens, EpiPens that, that, that they get. But um, the it's so powerful now, this naloxone that are, are uh, sorry, not naloxone, Nitazine. the um, yeah, yeah. N- is so strong, 40 times stronger than fentanyl that it could take three, uh, two or three um, doses to actually revive you okay. if it even does. Okay. Do you think that the dealers and distributors on Leaside know what they're dealing in some do I believe some don't like uh, I could easily rock up to somebody's door and I suppose get a number of doses uh, from them and and sell them on and I may not necessarily know what what's in them you know it is so okay. some are just kind of some would be feed is selling it on to actually pay a debt or, or or and and try and feed their own habit but I believe there is somebody in the city that actually does know what they are dealing in. And if there are so many people that know you amongst them, where many of these deals are coming from and the locations, why aren't they busted? I don't know, Neil. Maybe they're looking at trying to get somebody further up the tree and like this might be just the low-hanging fruit and they just replace once if they arrest these and and, uh, put them through the courts somebody else is there to take their place like down on down on McCurtain Street um, you, you'd see them uh, queuing up for their their social welfare um, on a Monday and they'd they'd hand over the, the dealers would be handing over their ID to go in and get their social welfare and they're coming back out then and, and handing the money over and getting their drugs it's the same down the GPO as well on uh, disability day same so thing what, happening. So when, when they give back, when everybody then gives back their disability cards and their PPS cards and whatever they use to as identification to get their welfare, so you got an individual then who's carrying maybe ten, fifteen, or twenty of them. Why don't they bust him or her? I don't know, Neil. Any time I've done stuff for you, I have never seen any Garda on the street or in the area. It may have changed since the last time I went out with Bernard, but certainly on the on the times I went well, out, well, I have seen I undercover seen guards, any. and people may not be aware of it because I know them, and there would be detectives and what have you. Mm. There would be members of the drug squad, and of course they're not in uniform. They are out there, but we want more of them. We just want more. Yeah, I, maybe it's a situation that they're overstretched. Okay, okay, and they just can't deal, can't deal with it. Okay, so what day were you out? Um, I went out on Friday straight after the news broke. Okay, and what and kind of, I, what was the vibe like on on in Cork on a on a Friday afternoon in the city? Uh, Christmassy was it kind of a good place it, to be? It was it was pretty busy. It was pretty busy. A lot of people milling around, um, getting getting their their bits and pieces done. Um, Car parks were 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 pretty full. Uh, it took me a while to try and get a try and get a parking spot. Mm. But uh, then you had all this going on going on in the background, and there is a worry um, among those uh, in the homeless community. But the thing is, like 
they what else can they can can they do because they when you're injecting yourself with these drugs it it's it's habit forming and and you just can't come off it straight away True. so yeah, they just have they to try say, and do their best that they yeah. can do it's not as if they can say i can't take that even though i'm very very badly addicted i can't take it because yeah. it's dangerous they are desperate and they use it and they take it and it could have fatal consequences. Thank you, Seamus, as always. Seamus Whelan on his uh, trip into the city on Friday afternoon. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Keith, good morning. Good morning, dear Neil. How are you? Good, good, good. I got your text uh, regarding my chat on air with Linda, who... Um, it's slow to admit it, but she did admit it earlier in the week that she's very lonely and not looking forward to uh, Christmas, particularly Christmas Day. You you said you've been there. You know what that's oh, like. That, that, like. I pulled out of my van and texted the show straight away and that broke my heart because, yeah, I have been there. I spent two years on the streets in Dublin of my own fault, of my own accord, you know, my, my own stupidity. No, that's gonna do with that poor woman. Like, but I know what's like to have no one but, on but, Christmas Day. You but, know what I mean? Yeah, but what happened? Can we can we maybe wind back as to how that happened? And I, I do I do know you were telling the lads that you're from Dublin, but you had a spell down here in Cork and had an, a bad car accident. Was it? Yeah, I was in a taxi, and the taxi hit a wall, and yeah, I kind of. I missed it. I had a lot of medical injuries, you know what I mean? And then I got put on medication and yeah, I got addicted to it and stuff like that. So was that for and pain management, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was for pain management, but I kind of, yeah, once it, once it started, it takes over and you just, it was just a downhill spiral from then. Let's just have a look at that for a while though because uh, that happens all too often with people who have really bad pain and the medication um, it sometimes isn't strong enough to manage the level of pain. Isn't that it? Yeah, that's exactly it. So you end well, up I, taking I, more I, and more or getting stronger and stronger pain management. I, mine wasn't, like, I was in pain, but I think it was marked for the buzz that I was doing it for. Because, like, yeah, you take a handful of tablets in the morning and you'd be flying around for a day. Like, it's, it, it was for pain at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I know, it just got out of hand, yeah. It got way out of hand. And then were you, were, you, were you struggling trying to get the prescriptions then at one stage then? Well, I went to different chemists and stuff like that. I had to go from Cork to Dublin to Limerick and get all the prescriptions and stuff like that. And I could buy them off the street. And you can, so, get, you can go to any street corner and get any, anything you want these days. So that became almost like your full-time occupation, chasing down prescriptions and chasing down pain med- medication. I was medication. Taking, I was, it wasn't even just pain medication. It was Valium, Tramadol, Rivitol, Xanax, Zimos, Metazitan, um, everything I could get my hands on and then the few beers on top of it. Um, across, across the counter of a pharmacy or, as you say, uh, on street corners or from dealers? Whatever you get it, you get it, like, you just, you can get it. And how, like, how would you afford that? Like, that would cost a fortune. Well, I got a settlement on my money, you know what I mean? And as I said, I lost everything because of my own stupidity. So what and you, when I say everything, I mean everything. So what you got in the accident, 
you blew it on yeah. drugs tablets I, I did buy a property over I that's what I did manage to do but in the end I lost that too Oh man, oh, that's a yep. tough break after tough break. So that ultimately then led to homelessness. Um, two and a half years uh, on the streets. So two of those yep. would have been over the two Christmases, yeah? That was, uh, yeah, back in 2011. That's the fourth one. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a while back. It wasn't recent. Oh, sure, I know. We're just talking it through. We're just talking it through. So clearly you must have fallen out or lost contact with your family at some stage I lost everything I, I lost contact with my daughter I had barely had a relationship with my father all my life I didn't speak to my mum for yeah, going on what 12 years mm-hmm. I, like my brother was living down in Cork I had a brother and sister in Dublin but they had their own families and stuff to look after and their own kids and yeah I just yeah, but there had to yeah, been a time when they were trying to help you and possibly just oh, gave yeah. up trying. Yeah, they did. I was like, I was sleeping on sofas and stuff like that, and I kept falling backwards and backwards and backwards to the point where it was like, right, you have to learn your lesson your own way. You know what I mean? You get back on your own for two feet. Yeah. You, you, um, yeah. so you, like, there was no such thing as holding down a job or anything. It was just fixated on the drugs. Nothing else mattered. Well, no, back then I didn't care for and I was just. Tablets and drink. And what were Chris? What was Christmas like then? Say the week of Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Like, what did you do? Christmas, like when it was Christmas week, I was grand because I had all my mates and money and stuff like that. But Christmas Day, when they all went up to their mothers or up to their cousins or uncles or whatever, like I just positive out around the streets. Right? You'd always find someone around the streets to sit down and have a chat with, and yes, keep company. with you know what I mean? So if you're sitting there on Christmas Day, not inside, cosy and warm, having a Christmas dinner, that must have been the lowest of the low, wondering how in the name of God did this ever happen to me? I, I still question this day how I got there. Like I, I, still to this day, like, we're talking like 14 years later, I still ask myself how did I manage to get so bad. Sleeping in doorways, or were you with Simon or Vincent de Paul? Or no, I didn't. I didn't go near any of the hostels. I didn't like anything like that because you're in a room with a lot of people and stuff like that. And God only knows. Like, I, I never ever went near hard, hard drugs. Like, that was one thing I never touched. Heroin or anything like that. Yeah, I know. But I mean, if, you, like, I, I, but if, if you went to the hostels and all that, like, that's all you ever get in them places is just heroin and yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I. Didn't, I, I told not to go into them because I might be around all that kind of stuff I mean. yeah but I've often heard of people who slept on the streets or are sleeping on the streets and they're, vic- I, they're I, victims I, of crime I, they're victims of I, crime or they're victims of assault or robbery well no I know I was never like, but when I was back then like, there was nothing there, there wasn't as bad as in Australia like, there was no spikes in doorways or anything like that or the windowsills you know what I mean like I used to stay down the O'Connor Street there down by the square down one of the name is there and in the door by Penny's up on O'Connor Street and now you can't stay there anymore because yeah. they put spikes up there at night time now yeah yeah but I'm, no, I'm thinking if you'd any few bob at all you go to sleep and you could be robbed while you were asleep you could get a beating you'd get knifed well to be fair I was kind of elbowed so much I didn't I wasn't thinking like that but see, on, a Chris, on a Christmas Day, you weren't saying this time next year I'm going to be in a better place. Like, but but ultimately, you you must have got off the medication. You must have got off I the did. pain or the pet tablets. I did, I did. I I gave it all up. I went back to the NALA program 
The National Adult Learning Network up in Fraser Tower, up in Dublin. The National Adult Literacy Agency, but they no, didn't get. The but National they didn't. National Adult Learning Network. Okay. Called, it was called back then. But did they get? But how'd you get clean? I myself. I just told myself. I I called Toki. It was the worst thing ever. Like it's hard to explain. Like I, I was out came back to contact my sister. No, my sister helps. But I, I, I done it all on my own. Like I just in her house on the sofa two weeks, cold hockey, and that killed me. That's like I just that's like being locked in a room for a fortnight, isn't it? Yeah, she was the one that got me into the Nala program. Wow, what did that do? You, um, you, I, you, you got you got into. Did you get into uh, chefing or something or cooking? I'm or? I'm, I'm a comedy chef by trade. I went back to I went back to the junior cert and even cert, and went on to the Nala program up in Pilsen Tower, and then I was in Griffith College in Dublin Griffith. for four and a half years, and I qualified as a comedy chef at the end of that. So, how old were you when you went back into the junior and leaving cert? Oh, I was only seventeen. I went back and done that. Oh my God! I, you I, were... done, I, I oh. done that after because I left school when I was twelve. So, how old were you on the streets then? I was, I was in the early twenties. Yeah, like I'm twenty-seven now, so like I've been about twenty-four, twenty-five, like because I spent the, the bond the two years on the streets. But I also had like friends' houses to stay in at the same time if I wanted it, but. Jesus. I didn't mind. I didn't. I, I see, it's hard to explain. Like when you're, when you're addicted to medication or any drug like that, it's hard to. It's hard to take care to do what you yeah, want. Yeah, you don't care. Do. I know you don't care. You, you just, give up. You're hopeless. Yeah, that's that's the only way to explain it. It's hopelessness. There's nothing. You take the. Do you think you think that the tablets and the drink is taking away all this? Pain from what happened to any of my kids and say like it's going to stuff from any of your kids and stuff, but it doesn't. As much as it all up, it's still all in your head. So, I mean, so you lost that property that you invested in after the accident. How did that happen? I, uh, I ended up selling it just to get more money for drugs. Oh man, yeah, that's how stupid I was. But clearly, you put all of that out of your head now because you can't be looking back that's, at all those things. No, no, that's that's the past. That's that I have three. I'm back in contact with me daughter. Now she'll be eighteen soon, and I have two new babies, two fantastic kids, six and seven years of age. I, as I said, I'm a fully qualified comedy chef, but I'm after moving on to a different career path now. Like um, the last year, I I changed jobs and I'm star room manager. Like you're a what manager? Store room manager. manager. Yeah, yeah. Oh my! And you're a loving son who just took his mammy to bingo. God, you've well, really, yeah, you've really I sorted have, your life out, man. I have my father down from Dublin as well. He had a heart attack three weeks and two days ago. He had a heart attack in Dublin. So he's down here now for the foreseeable until he gets his strength back up. So he's with me as well. But that must make you very proud, and they must be very proud of you. Two, three beautiful children, working full time, caring for your elderly mother, back in touch with your dad, holding down a job. That's mega, isn't it? Oh yeah, I don't. I don't feel that. I just. I had. I had to do. What I had to do for myself. You know what I mean? Like, and now I just. I love getting up and going to work in the morning. I get up at five o'clock in the morning, and I'm on the road for six, quarter past six, and I love it. Not enough hours in the day for you. 
Well, no, I, I like going home as well and having a cup of tea. You know, me and me bit of grub and chilling out for an hour in front of the telly before I go to bed and shower and whatnot. Because you have to do it all over again. But I still love doing it. I, I, I'm asking myself into a routine and I have it. Yeah, you're happy in your own routine. I need them to walk. If I don't walk, I, I get depressed. I like when I gave up cooking in February. I was only out walk for one month. Not even a month, and I was going off my my I know, head. I know. You must count yourself yeah. as being. I mean, you put an awful lot of effort and work into it. In fairness to you, but you must count yourself as being very, very lucky. I I do, but I as I said, like once I kind of seen myself up out of that again, then I had more support and more support and more support. But that poor girl on the on the radio the other day, she had no support. Yeah, and that brought it back to you, didn't it, when she was saying that about Christmas Day? My, that, that broke my heart. That's why I pulled the van in straight away and I text. Do you know what I mean? To say, like, what? that woman, I'll collect her, I'll drop her home. A lot of people have reached out to her, and I'm going to give her your details as well. I think it's lovely yeah. for her to know that so many people were thinking and inviting her to come and join them not to be alone you know I think that should give her yeah, a lot of consolation she's more than, she's more than welcome there's uh, like there's me just three kids my man my dad my brother lives down the road with my sister and my nephew so it'd be a nice there'd be people here to talk to and get to know and stuff and you're a gent you're a gent uh, I can text I can drop her home whenever she wants to doesn't she can go by four times there's no panic well, I'd say knowing your background as a chef, you'll be doing the turkey and the ham this Christmas, will you? No, on the trimmings. No, I, no, I don't know. Last year, <laughs> no, it's my sister in last this year. <laughs> right. It's my sister in last okay. one. <laughs> right. You can take over for this year now, thank you. Okay, well, cherish the day, my friend. You thoroughly oh, enjoy that. You thoroughly deserve them. Thanks for oh, taking the call, Keith. Mind yourself. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. We sad news this morning. Uh, Frank Toomey, the well-known uh, actor, comedian, wonderful guy. I uh, did Panto with him. I did Snow White with him. I did Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk. did... Um, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, he's passed away uh, at the weekend, very sad. Also starred in Bull Island, um, also was one of the, himself and Pacquiao Callan put together the fantastic Santa Ponza or Bust uh, stage productions. Uh, sadly, his death was announced this morning. Just a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. More on that after 11 this morning. Text 0868 We're talking about, um, you know, traditional dishes coming back in vogue. I mentioned it much earlier on this morning. And one of them that I mentioned was coddle. It was a very much Dublin-centric story. Coddle, of course, is some kind of a form of stew that they love up there with sausages and rashers. Uh, Jar says, coddle is for the people that have no money in Dublin. It is no real goodness in it. How could it be, how could it with pale sausages and rashers um, they can coddle away take out the pan and put a bit of fillet steak on with onions and mushrooms coddle me arse says Jor from Hartford <laughs> I'm quite sure it's a little bit more tasty than you described Johnny Murphy used to be a professional rugby player he has a TikTok now called The Hungry Hooker where he does some traditional baking recipes with his gran and some new ones too they're mainly simple ones to do Okay, well, he's worth checking out. And then we talk about the pressure within our health system. But you can be sure now that ambulance personnel and paramedics in the ANDs will be under an awful lot of pressure um, right up to and across Christmas. And on top of this, I'm even
even getting texts this morning of ambulance personnel working on people who have OD'd, not just here in the city from this new dangerous poisonous drug, uh, but also down in Cove this morning. I've been to CUH three times in the last six weeks with two of my four children and I just want to say how efficient and kind they were up there. Um, they sometimes get very bad press and I would love if you could dedicate one of your morning programmes to honour the great work they do and if people ring in with good news stories for a change about their experiences in the CUH. I want to personally thank them for taking care of me and my two children recently. We were so personally looked after. They gave us water, we were offered tea or coffee last night and they arrived out with coffee, water and cakes for me and my son. Other patients were all offered the very same. So grateful to everyone who looked after us. Please keep up the great work. I think he are the unsung heroes, says Maria and her family, to all of those, not just in the CUH, but particularly those in the A&D. So keep those coming, text 0868-104-106. I see a lot more text coming in this morning with regards to people commenting on topics from this morning and they include um, the issue regarding the payments to war refugees. It's about time the government stood up for what the Irish people want close the borders. If it's safe for Ukrainians to go home for Christmas, it's safe for them to stay at home. Uh, The dogs on the street know that 90% of Ukraine, a huge country, is peaceful. Uh, But there are no hotels or welfare or children's allowance on offer over there. Did anyone ever hear of refugees driving home to a war zone for Christmas? Who is laughing at whom? Not so sure they'd be driving home, possibly flying home. Uh, I work in an establishment with people of all nationalities. One in particular is from Eastern Europe. She works here and owns a lot of property in her own country, like apartments that she rents. Recently, she was given a Tua house on the south side. It's brand new and top-notch. This housing organisation lets housing out based on income. Obviously, they don't know about her having all of these apartments let out in her own country because, of course, there are no background checks. Keep those coming. Text 0868104106. Back after 11. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Text 086-8104-106 on uh, drugs and uh, the issue with regards to, I mean, heroin of any dose is deadly. Uh, but what's being available now in the marketplace is just absolutely killer uh, stuff because it is uh, adulterated. And it's got all sorts of additional additives and it's much stronger. It's got fentanyl. And I've dealt with this already this morning, if you've been listening. Desi says, if you kill someone in America with your car while drunk or under the influence of drugs, you will be charged with vehicular homicide. Therefore, if you kill someone with a drug you supplied, you should be charged with drug homicide, says Desi. Um, Again, this has to do with some of the conversations earlier on that, you know, what we really need is very, very, very hefty sentencing. Um, John says, what gets me is that some of this high society are very picky about what they eat and drink. For example, when they're in a restaurant and asking uh, what's in certain foods, yet they are blowing coke up their noses and they haven't a clue what's in it nor do they care, says John. Good point. Well made. Um, If you look at what's happening around the world with drugs now, you can't stop it, full stop. So the best thing to do is legalise and tax it and cut out the dealers. Uh, And um, keep those coming, actually, with regards to Christmas spirit or a lack of a Christmas manger in a West Cork 
church. The people that usually come on to remind us that this is a Catholic country when, when, when it wants to hold on to its traditions don't exactly show Christian values at Christmas time towards the less fortunate in society. On your programme already this morning, we had calls for the death penalty and cuts to money for those who came here looking for refuge. Happy holidays to you and all of your listeners. Yes, there's quite an amount of conversation, all right, certainly with regards to benefits paid to Ukrainian war refugees. That will change. And for 90 days, if this is all signed off, accommodation will be provided to Ukrainian war refugees. But after 90 days, they will have to find their own accommodation. There is also, of course, the news uh, that welfare benefits will be cut way back from €220 per week to €38.80 which is the amount that's currently being paid to asylum seekers. I was telling you the amount of money that it is costing us um, every single day of every week of every year. And the amount of money that it's costing now is absolutely insane. Some more text on that. I thought Ukraine uh, was at war. So why are Ukrainians going home to uh, Ukraine for Christmas? If it's safe to go home for Christmas, they should be told to stay there. Leon Martin and his government would want to grow a spine and look after Irish people. Morning, if it's okay for the Ukrainians to go home for Christmas, how is it safe for them to go home? Uh, is Putin going to stop the bombing when they go home for Christmas time? Um, so many people picking up on that. Ukrainians going home for Christmas and their homes have been kept for them here. Sure, I thought that there was a war on. War on. Why would you holiday there? People need to stop the lies. They're going home to see family, friends and bring expensive presents back home all off the back of the Irish taxpayers. And then you have homeless Irish women driving into the river. And that's a, a reference to some conversations I had on air the week before last. If refugees from any country can go home for Christmas, then they should not need to be here in the first place. This government should cop on, look after its own people who elected them, says John in Mitchellstown. Uh, the far right has been created by this government. You have a whole generation of young people left without any hope of owning a home of their own due to incompetence. Then the very same government is parachuting thousands of immigrants in and giving them homes. No wonder people are angry. Um, and there's many more like that with Ukraine people going back home for Christmas, why not give the accommodation to our homeless for the Christmas period? And do what then? And do what then when they come back after Christmas? Um, throw out the Irish homeless? I don't know whether that's a good solution. Mind you, a little bit of clarification is needed because I believe that James O'Connor, the East Cork TD, said something at some stage alluding the, to the fact that the Walter Raleigh Hotel in Yall was going to flip from uh, tourists and paying guests to Ukrainian war refugees. And the Walter Raleigh Hotel has issued me with a statement on behalf of Grace and Nick Ryan of the Walter Raleigh Hotel, and it says, Contrary to the statement made by James O'Connor TD in Dáil Éireann, the Walter Raleigh Hotel Limited has not and is not seeking to house Ukrainians. We are the largest hotel in Yall, and we've always served the people of Yall to the best of our ability since taking over the hotel 12 years ago. We do have a lot of sympathy and support for Ukraine and have helped locally by offering employment to many Ukrainians over the last two years. Uh, I personally find Mr O'Connor's statement totally unacceptable and reckless. Mr O'Connor would be best served supporting our business instead of spreading rumours that have the potential to damage what little business there is available to us at this time of the year in Yall anyway. We're trying to contact James O'Connor and discuss how he can retract his comments, which are totally incorrect. And I would suggest that Mr O'Connor should make contact with the hotel himself, should he have any queries, before listening to and spreading 
Idle Gossip. And that is from Nick and Grace Ryan, who are the owners and proprietors of the Walter Raleigh Hotel in Yall. And I tell you one thing, they have done some job on that hotel. It is an absolute credit, the work they put into it. A gloriously beautiful place to be, to stay and to eat, because I've done both. Back after the break, text 0868 104 106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. I love this part of the year, I really do, because it's just such fun um, when it's Christmas hamper time. And we've teamed up again with thepaddybox.com to send hampers to the four corners of the globe and everywhere in between. And you still have time to nominate a loved one overseas. Get in touch. Tell us their story, where they are, what they're doing, and all about them to neil at redfm.ie. Most importantly, uh, make sure you include a contact phone number. Um, and I've been getting reams of them, and Mick Mulcahy read out many of them last week, which is great. I'd love uh, for my brother Stephen to get one of the hampers. He had a baby in April, so there's no way he'll make it home from America this year. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. His lovely wife Lynn and little baby Liam need to have a taste of Irish food. <laughs> little Liam will be seven months old for his first Christmas, and I'm sure a taste of Irish melted chocolate would introduce him to the best type of chocolate going, Irish chocolate. Stephen has lived in America for the last nine years. We were super lucky to have him home last Christmas and his Irish food supply is now running low. Please send him a hamper to help him to stock up again. Happy Christmas to everybody, says um, Stephen's sister Pam. I'd like to nominate my daughter Roisin Murphy D'Angelo, who's living in Anchorage, Alaska in the USA. She has two boys, due another baby just before Christmas. A hamper would be out of this world for her and the family. The snow is unbelievable there at the moment and a few cups of Irish tea and some good Irish goodies would be such a treat, says Maria. I'd like to nominate my son Alex Deneen for a paddy box. He emigrated to Western Australia just last year to work as a geologist, geologist in the northern mine, star mines in, in Kalgoorlie. He won't be coming back to Ireland anytime soon, but he works very hard and he'll be working in the mines on Christmas Day. So to have a paddy box waiting for him to share with his housemates would be fantastic. He's a great son and we miss him. Please consider him for a prize, says Mammy and Michelle Deneen. I'd love a paddy box to go to my best friend Shauna O'Flaherty spending Christmas in San Francisco with her son and daughter who both live there now. She's a kind and helpful friend. It is lovely that she gets to spend Christmas time with her son and daughter in the USA but I'll miss her and a treat of a paddy box would be great for her and the family happy Christmas to all says Josephine O'Riordan just another few I'd love uh, to win one of your hampers for my parents who moved from Dublin to Birmingham over 50 years ago they still only buy Irish products uh, says Tony Courtney love the show as does my baby brother Brian he lives in Indiana Back in 2014, we were celebrating our first Christmas in 22 years apart. At the time, you very kindly sent him a hamper. Uh, and it was just the taste he needed from home. Really? 22 years ago, I sent him a hamper. Since 2014, we've managed to celebrate six Christmases together. This is the second year in a row without him and his wonderful wife, Carly. I'd love if he was chosen for the Christmas hamper as I would get to keep my best sister crown, says Danielle. In all seriousness, I miss my baby brother so much, as do my two daughters. Uh, I'm grateful for smartphones and video calling, but it's not the same as being able to hug 
my brother and sister-in-law. My mum visited in September and brought over favourites like Barry's tea, coca noodles, oxtail soup and chef ketchup. <laughs> I think they're due a top-up. Brian complains that chocolate in America is not nice and some Cadbury's would be amazing. He hasn't had a decent pint of Murphy's in years. Thanks for taking the time to read this, says Danielle. Well, I can't send stout in the paddy box and I don't think that Murphy's is on draft. Open to correction. I don't know if Murphy's is on draft in America. Guinness certainly is, but Murphy's, maybe it is. You never know. Keep those emails coming. Email neil at redfm.ie and make sure you include a phone number. As I head live down to Claire Fitzgerald's home in Sydney, Australia. Good morning. Hello. How are you? Sure, I'm fine. How are you? I'm grand. Happy Christmas. How are you feeling, incidentally, with the chemo that you're going through at the moment, Claire? Well, I'm just finished my chemo and I go for surgery in the morning, actually, because it's nighttime here now. So I just finished packing my hospital bag. But I feel good. I feel very positive. And I'm looking forward to kind of getting it over and done with. All right. Breast cancer, I believe, yeah? Yeah. Let's not yeah. let's not dwell on that. You're back, you're over the worst of it, and hopefully the diagnosis exactly. tomorrow will be good. The surgery will be good, exactly. and you can get on with your life. Looking forward to Christmas. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait! I have four smallies, so all so of them, all of them would... born there, right? Yourself and Paul went yeah. to Oz. What twenty years ago? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And what took you over there then? So we just came over backpacking on the one-year working holiday visa, which brings most people over to Australia, really. And then I ended up getting sponsored by the company that I was working for, which then gave us another four years there. And then we kind of ended up having the kids and stuff here. So we settled and um, we came home a few times. We came, we've came home to get married and we came home for the kids' communion and things like that. But um just the time ran away and we ended up settling here and here we are 20 years later Oliver's 16 Charlie's 15 Archie is 9 and Willow is 8 they'd never move I can tell you that's home isn't it? (laughs) Yeah that's home for them Australia is definitely home for them definitely And what's Christmas going to be like? I mean it's, it's a sunny Sydney right? It's summertime It is Yeah it's very hot at the moment like at the moment now we're in extreme temperatures it's over. It was over 40 degrees a few days ago. We're kind of in the mid-30s now at the moment. So it's a very different Christmas. And we just try to... I learned not to try and make it like Ireland because it's nothing like Ireland. Um, so we kind of just do... We try to keep the tradition, you know, the Santa, the turkey and the ham, even though it'd be over 30 degrees and you're in the kitchen roasting. But, uh, we still do all the trimmings. But Australians and, themselves uh, don't, do they? they do they look no, at you as if no. you're a weirdo? Oh, yeah. Like, they're more into their fish and barbecues and that kind of style. Whereas we're definitely the turkey and the ham. I think my mother would murder us if we didn't do the honey roast ham on Christmas morning. So, um, yeah, we keep the tradition alive. Talking about traditions, I mean, you're there 20 years. You do get back from time to time. Is everything Irish now available there or what? Well, you can. Some of the main supermarkets do stock it like about five times the price, but they do stock it very, very limited. Like they'd have a little corner in the in the stalls in the supermarket. And then there is companies that specialise in just the Irish foods. Um, but again, you're kind of paying the markup, which is understandable because it's all imported. But we're willing to pay it because we just love the food so much. What do you miss, though? 
in terms of food. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can get a lot of things that will travel, but I don't think that maybe sausages and rashers would travel. Yeah, or, you can't. You know. Yeah, no, you can't get them. And and then like the things like the Kerry Gold butter. If you find that over here, it's like striking gold. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and then you're straight on with the mashed potatoes so you can have the Kerrygold butter on top. Black market butter, is this? I know. <laughs> and the mushy peas. And yeah, you know, and for Christmas it would be the smell of the spiced beef. That's a big thing that you can't get over here. Um, yeah. So things like that now you'd miss. Do, do your kids know the taste of tanora, for instance, or cheese and onion no, tato crisps? They'd know the tato crisps because they've been coming in and out of the house all the time. My mum would often post it over now or my relatives would, but they wouldn't have a clue what tanora is. Whereas to me, tanora is the iconic Christmas drink that you would have got up in your nan's house Christmas morning. You know, it's just, you can't get more iconic than tanora. I'm going to send you a hamper full of goodies and it's got tanora in it. Now, I want the kids to come back and tell me what they think of the taste of it. Chill it absolutely. down in the fridge overnight, yeah? Oh, absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you so much. We'll be delighted. We'll be fighting over the tanora. Uh, there's plenty to go around. Tato cheese and onion, Barry's tea, Cadbury's dairy milk, Cadbury's purple snacks, chocolate Kimberleys, Mikado's, Boland's custard creams, loads of the old sweet favourites. You know, the refreshers and the stingers and the wham bars oh. and stuff like that. Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much. That's so appreciated. Make sure you send us a photograph when it arrives. Do you hear me? I promise I will. I promise I will. Happy Christmas to you all and good luck Happy tomorrow Christmas with the surgery. To Upwards and onwards, Claire. Thank you so much. Happy Christmas. You too. All the best. Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day. The Boney M. Don't forget, you can also buy and send your own Paddy Box by checking them out online at thepaddybox.com and connecting people all over the world by allowing customers to create and ship their own box of Irishness around the globe. My brother Jonathan has been in Perth, Australia for six years. I'd love to send him a Paddy Box to give him a bit of home. He deserves this so much as the last time he came back home was sadly from my other brother's passing from cancer. So it wasn't a great visit home. He won't be back for Christmas this year and he will be sorely missed. Thanks for the chance to enter, says Louise, about her brother Jonathan in Perth, Australia. My God, I'm seeing so many emails from people who have family all over Australia this year. More so than I think um, any of the years in the past. I'd love to consider for the Paddy Box my sister and I are very close. She is the idol in my life. I look up to her so much. She's an incredible human. She just became a mum and is feeling far from home in London. I would love to give her a hug from home and help her and her husband settle into parenthood, says Ryan by email. And one or two more. Hope all is well. I'd love to win a Paddy Box for my sister Orla in Sydney. She travelled to Sydney on her own earlier this year and it's her first Christmas away from home. She'd be thrilled to receive a Paddy Box full of treats from Cork's Red FM. Thank you for your email, Kira. I'd love to win for our daughter, JDC. She's a hard-working girl, moved to Sydney, Australia in February. Before she left, she was a care assistant and loved every minute of her job. At 19 years old, she travelled across the world on her own to be with her childhood sweetheart, who had moved over previous months before her. She's now living the dream and still continues to care for people in Australia. It's a job she loves very much. She has a heart of gold. She's not 
spending Christmas in Ireland this year, but she's certainly living the dream and enjoying life to the fullest. Says Wayne, um, telling us all about his uh, lovely daughter, JDC in Australia. And one final one, and again, Australia. My son Shane is in Perth, won't be home for Christmas. I'll miss him so much at the table on Christmas Day. I'd love if he won one of your hampers because he's always telling me that he misses the Irish food at Christmas time. He loves surprises, so it would be brilliant if he got one, says Susie Hickey. There are so many to read, and I'll continue to do so right across the week and indeed hopefully next week as well. But let us see if we can get some more calls on air and see if we can send another hamper overseas, shall we? Let me chat, if you don't mind, to, to Norma. Norma. Good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for telling me all about your friend Anne. Do you go back years? Were you childhood pals? We were teenage friends. Okay, and where was this and where did you grow up? Okay, we grew up in Dillon's Cross. Anne is from Ballyhooly Road and I'm from Bang in the middle of Dillon's Cross. And when did she leg it off to Greece? She legged it to Greece. She followed me out to Greece, actually, Neil. I went to Greece when I was 17 to help out my sister who had to have... Um, she had an accident and had to come home. She was all pairing. And I went over to fill in for her and I wasn't there a wet week and Miss Murphy followed me over. Out came Anne Murphy, right, OK. Yeah, yeah. Much to your mm-hmm. surprise. And she decided, <laughs> what, to fall in love, I think, was it? She did, indeed. Very quickly, too. Met the love of her life. How long ago was that? This was, um, I was 17 and she was 18. So we're talking 40 years, Neil. Okay. And did you come back then? I did. I didn't last too long. I came back after six months and she's there still. And does she come home from time to time? She does. She does indeed. She gets home every now and again, but she doesn't often get home for Christmas. And have you gone out? I know it's like 20 questions. Yes, I have. I have. I've been going out ever since. All right. Um, she had kids, obviously settled down, raised a family. She did. She did. She has three children, two boys and a girl. Okay. You'd like to send her a paddy box? I'd love to send her a paddy what box. Would the Greeks, what would the Greeks eat on Christmas Day? Um, she'll still try and manage a turkey now, and she'll try and score a bit of ham from somewhere. But it will be still a Christmas, but they won't have everything that we'd have here. Right. Um... Will we ask her what she's going to have for Christmas? Oh, do, Neil, do. Norma. <laughs> this is that. Anne, sorry, Anne, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? <laughs> what's, the, what's, the, what's the temperature like there at the moment in Greece? Today, about 16 and very sunny. Oh, I didn't feel so bad. Oh, well, sunshine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sunshine. Well, look, sure, it's, it's uh, such a sunny place. We probably would get about 300 days a year of sunshine here. Well, listen, you have a good friend here on Leeside that wants to send you a paddy box. Do you, reco- I, do you recall following her out to Greece? I do. I do. Oh, my God, yeah, for nearly 40 years ago. I do. Um, she just, she was there. She said, look, she was all pairing. Um, and there were some other families were also looking for Irish au pairs. So she just said, you know, why not come out? And I said, sure, look, yes, why not? And uh, I've been here since. Tell me about <laughs> tell me about Costas. Where'd you meet him? Here. I was You're, here a couple of weeks. But, but, I was I'd say not even three weeks and I met him. But where exactly did you meet him? Where exactly? Um well look, I'm about an hour outside Athens and it's in a village uh called Anavisos. Yeah. That's where he's from. So I actually met him 
here in this village. He was just, uh, he was in the army at the time. Oh, you know, a man you know. in a uniform, is it? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, he was on leave, I think, at the weekend. He did, I think he had a couple of months left. They had to do two years um, army service. It's compulsory. So, um Yes, we met, and I think seven, about seven years late we married. And I hear you listen every day. Do you, do you stay in touch with everything back home? I do. Now I'm two hours ahead, but that's fine because you watch your show comes on at nine at home, which is 11 here, and yeah, absolutely. Now, I also hear that you miss a lot of things from home, do you? Well, look, yeah, I'm, look, I'm, I know I'm away a long time. Um, probably people, I suppose, the most, obviously, my family, my friends have great groups of friends. Um, the sense of humour, even the crack, you know. Um, so, but I, I do get home. I get home once a year when my mother was alive. I got home a lot more. But I, I still, I mean, when people travel, so it's uh, I'm in contact all the time, whether I'm going home or someone's always coming out. Norm is, comes out and visits me every year. And, and Norma, do you, do you and Nan chat all of the time, like, on the phone? So easy now with, with smartphones. We do. Yeah. Well, we do. And she, look, we have WhatsApp and we can send each other photographs and messages and there'll be a couple of group chats going on as well. So it's great. Ah, we are. We're in touch all the time. But Neil, I'm her other paddy box because when I go once a year, <laughs> I have a lump of food up on my back in a haversack. Like what? No idea. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Like McCambridge bloody bread and sausages <laughs> and rashers and lots of Cadbury snacks. You'll be arrested bringing those sausages into Greece, you know. She won't, she won't. She I won't, it's the EU, it's the EU. <laughs> and you know, she's right, she's right. She keeps us, I mean, the kids, geez, they, when, when they hear Norma's coming, they're delighted. They know, oh, here comes the chocolate, here comes all the goodies. The kids are Sean, Joanne and Andreas, right? Andreas, yes. And do they know of Tanora and cheese and onion oh, crisps do. and Barry's I mean, tea? They, I mean, they probably have a, 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 a more of a cock accent than I do at this stage. I mean, people even think, do they ever, you know, <laughs> are they actually Greek? I thought they'd be more into olives and Stefado and Cliff Tico and but all these things. Absolutely, but you look, you know, it's a, it's a treat. I'm going, to send you, I'm going to send you some McDonald's curry sauce and a spice bag mix. I don't know what you're going to do with that. <laughs> Yay! She'll find something to do with that, Lee. All right, so listen, I'm delighted to get you two hooking up on air, Anne and Norma. It's lovely to chat uh, with you both. Well, look, thanks very much and thank me to Norma. She's so thoughtful to nominate me. I'm flattered. Well, she'll, really come, she'll be coming up to retirement now in the next five or ten years. She might I decide to join you out there, maybe. What do you think? She might. You never know. <laughs> Norma? She's welcome. I want my own place out there, though. I want my own little space. <laughs> will you? So you will have the turkey and the ham and the stuffing and everything to go with it on Christmas? We will. Day. I actually, for the last couple of years, though, I've been ordering them from uh, the English market. Spiced beef and ham. And they deliver, of course. Which they is do. Terrific. Okay. They well, do. listen, you have something nice extra to look forward to. Well, a paddy box lovely. chocked with, with goodies for yourself and the family to enjoy. Don't forget to we send will. us a photograph when it arrives, will you, Anne? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Norma, there's no problem whatsoever, girl. And how do you say happy Christmas in Greek? Kala Christuina. I like the sound of that. (laughs) (laughs) Kala Christuina to you. Thanks very much. Bye, guys. See you later. Take care.
Collingwood and Wizard. I wish it could be Christmas every day. So don't forget, we have uh, hamper calls every single day and emails as well. You still have an opportunity to nominate people overseas. I wish I had lots, lots more of them, considering the amount of volume that we get every single Christmas time. But email Neil at redfm.ie. Tell us all about your loved ones overseas, as well as that. I've taken delivery, like we do every Christmas time, of some more wonderful vouchers from McCarthy's Family Butchers, Hawks Road in Bishopstown. And this is the uh, Christmas vouchers every year for a turkey breast, half a ham and a spiced beef as well. So all of those will go between now and Friday week. Back after the break, text 0868 106. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And uh, for all of the business, we'll pick it up in the morning. I just mentioned uh, just before 11 o'clock this morning, the sad death of the actor, comedian uh, Frank Toomey, who had been unwell for quite some time. He did so much uh, in his career, of course, uh, one of the things one of the things that he was dogged by for many years, of course, was his work and involvement with uh, Bosco on RTE television for many, many years and going through the magic door. People never forgot about that period in his life, although he did an awful lot since all of that. Here's this little clip of Frank talking about it, actually. The music for Bosco would come on and without fail, the kids, they were now gathering around the TV, mesmerised. Nearly always you went through the magic door and the zoo was as far as we ever got. There are about three generations of Irish kids who have a collective memory of Bosco and certainly a personal memory. Fellow actor and comedian uh, Paki O'Callaghan joins me by phone. Paki, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Awfully, yeah. awfully sad. I knew he had been unwell, yeah. um, but mm-hmm. you, were, you were with him over the weekend, I believe, were you? Yeah, I was with him last night. I said my goodbyes to him last night, and it was obvious, you know, for the last week or so that, you know, he wasn't going to pull through this, you know, and um, although he battled as he always would in every aspect of his life so bravely, you know, but um, in the end, he just had to succumb to a, you know, a very, very uh, serious lung disease that he's contracted, you know. I know. He was incredibly funny. He really was. He was and the he, funniest he was, guy. He was funnier off stage than on stage, actually. Absolutely. Because, because much of his yeah, humour you know, wouldn't have been allowed on stage. He was such yeah, a funny guy. probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been working with him since the early 90s and I just think, I, I just thought it was such a real privilege, you know, to, all these years to be with him. And every time you meet him, every time you leave him, having met him, you know, you'd leave with a bounce in your step, you know. He had that capacity to, to elevate people's mood uh just he was just you know I think he was always he grew old but never grew up that kind of <laughs> that's kind of very cliche, well put yeah he yeah. lighted up a room and he had a particular blend Absolutely. of cork humour that was just infectious yeah. you know it really was yeah. I mean I mean, he, he, he did all of the Bosco stuff right and it, sure. it, like it, it did it did annoy it did drive him mad like the people constantly going on about opening the magic door didn't it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember numerous occasions on the train with him where somebody said, oh, uh, are you by any chance? Are you a man who's doing the thing uh, at school? But you reared my young fella. You reared my small fella. And, uh, you know, he took it in good spirits, but you know that look he probably prepared if people's memories were a bit shorter, you know? Because yeah. I suppose it did, as these things do, impact on your, you know, the remaining part of his career, which was a lot more successful than many people probably re- realise, you know. I mean, you probably know this, but, you know, Frank worked with Graham Norton in the, when Graham was cutting his teeth as a comedian when he was in UCC, he worked with Brendan O'Connor and, and most probably famously with Dermot Morgan. Uh, so, yeah, Frank, like, worked with, you know, some of the, you know, the top people in the business. And, um, 
he you know he but I, I think his I think his real ability was um you know I the, this when we were writing Santa Panza Santa Panza series which we ran for years with and I remember I my kind of function there was to, as, as the kind of work horse I I kind of write the outline and the kind of storyboard but Frank would just elevate it to kind of an extraordinary level you know, he just had a great capacity to come up with gag after gag. And you toured and toured and toured with it. This was, of course, Finbar and Carmel and John Noreen yeah. off for two yeah. weeks and what was it Santa sure. Panza hooking up with all sorts of nefarious criminals and what have you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, I, I, as I say, I, I used to do the kind of walk horse element with Frank, yeah. like, with such, with seeming total, like, ease, would just come in and say, look, what about if we said such and such? And my wife, who used to be, you know, we did this at my kitchen table. She would just be cracked. She was our kind of sounding board and she'd be cracking up listening to this, you know. And um, uh, he was so convincing as a, as a and one, you know, he played a woman. And I know you that you work with him, pantomime me, you know, so yeah. you probably saw this yeah. as well. He was so convincing as a woman, you know, that he often scared me. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was no range of his caramel. And sometimes when he'd look at me, you know, when he'd as a, the floor with me, I, I'd be genuinely scared, you know. I, I, touched him, I know, I know. Yeah. Small yeah, 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 yeah. There was no off button, like, it was just a human dynamo. We serialized actually Santa Panza or Bust on the radio years ago, right. and it was that a tremendous. Was it, you know? That was the genesis of it, and that was Frank's it, making, actually. He hassled and hassled yeah. and hassled until he signed up for it. He just didn't take no for an answer. Do you mind if I just <laughs> talk to Catherine Mann Buckley of, of CADA sure. and also the director of, of Jack and the, oh, sorry, of Beauty and the Beast at the Everyman? Morning, morning, you Catherine. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Sad old day because we did we did work Horrible. with them. We worked with them for Snow White, Cinderella. We worked yes. with them for Jack and the Beanstalk and uh, Little Red Riding Hood, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And he was a great character. Absolutely, just you know, one of these. I always think like this when the stresses would be on and everybody would be up to ten. He'd come in with some, such a funny line and he'd break the atmosphere and everybody would be roaring, laughing, and, and it dissolved whatever the stress was at the time. Do you know, he he tended um, to he intended to adapt the script though, didn't he? He didn't always necessarily follow your lines. <laughs> oh, listen. Sometimes, as I said to him one day. Frank, I love you for about uh, 10 months of the year and then I literally could choke you for the others because the other poor actors on stage, he could throw a different line in there looking at him. Wouldn't be as fast to pick up the, the cue as, as himself. Or it could be a look, but not okay, kind of... Kind of <laughs> A glare, a smile, or the, um, yeah, yeah. the scene with Mrs. Who, Mrs. What, and Mrs. Don't Know. <laughs> <laughs> he could never get it right, and then he'd tell me it was the other actors were causing the problem. <laughs> Actually, I think his his adapting of everything ultimately improved everything, didn't it? It did, it did, because he had that. Like he, he was such a funny, very under. I feel estimated. He and I remember having a chat with him, now a serious chat with him one time, and saying, you know, he could have been an international star if he wanted it, because he had that. I suppose he had that comedy sense. Yes, he had that great humbleness and always trying to do better. Yeah. And I love that in an actor. Is it- you know, somebody who will say. I messed up on that now. How can I make that much better? It's about getting the breaks, lads, isn't it? Packy, isn't that what it's... You, you, you also believe him to have been underrated for the talent oh, that he had. absolutely, yeah. And, you know, yeah. uh, you know, to, you know to, to Catherine's point there, you know, he was such a generous actor, you know, that he never saw the limelight. Uh, it, yeah. just, it just shone on him always because, you know, as I say, he could, 
he commanded the stage like like few other people I knew. And you know when he when he played to children, I mean that was he was at his best. You know, he kind yeah, of I agree with you. to come Absolutely. down to their level like nobody I knew. You know. Very sad. I didn't want the day to pass without marking his passing and everybody, of course, has yeah. moved and we think of his of his yeah. family and his friends and those sure. who worked with him in television and theatre and what have you. It, it's a, it's a yeah. sad day. It's a sad day. It, it is. It is for him. But, you know, in one way, Neil, because of his health complaint, I just mm-hmm. feel, I, as I'd say now, breathe easy now, mm-hmm. uh, Frank. Yeah. Yeah, and and sure. and entertain the the angels and people above because sure. it, it it was very rough on him for the last couple of months. I wasn't very, aware very of that. Rough. I wasn't aware of that, yeah. Catherine. Thank you so yeah. much for that kind tribute uh, and good luck Not with Panto. I hope it's going well for the everyman. It's Fair all going point. very well, very well, and I hope everything goes well with you too. I know that you've had a difficult year as well, and and, and I always think That's about the you. circle of life, girl. Look after yourself. Circle Regards to Ted and all of the cast. Pleasure talking Not to at you. All. Thanks a million, with Catherine Mahan Buckley, the owner director of Cada and director of of the panto at the uh, Everyman. Sad day. Packy, how have you been, incidentally? I haven't spoken to you a long time. Are you doing any work? Are you treading the boards, writing uh, No, you know, myself and Frank, our only kind of most, more recent kind of stuff was with uh, Joe Duffy's live line, you know? <laughs> we, we, we used to do... Um, it's the, the Friday uh, at the end of the month. Funny Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Frank was working at that until, until last September, you know? And uh, that was about three days' work a month. So I was with him for every month for the last... I think we started about 19, 2004 anyway, 19 years ago, I think. And um, we've been working ever since on that for, you know, it's just a couple of days a month. But I used to, I used to love the, you know, the just the fact of being with them and just having a blast. And I have no just, idea know, how you generated so much material. Too, Neil, you know, he was a very, very, you know, compassionate and generous person apart from being a very, very good actor, you know. He was, and he was caught uh, through and through. Well, you You'll know? miss him. You yeah. will. You'll miss him. We'll all miss sure. him, but you particularly will. You had a particular relationship yeah. with him that sure it, it will feel difficult in the coming days and weeks. Thank you, Packy, so much. Happy Christmas to you in spite of everything okay, else. God bless. God bless. Yeah, sure. Take care. God bless. Thank you, Callaghan and Catherine Mahan Buckley. May he rest in peace. Uh, all of the business will pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.